Hi, my name is Spencer, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. This morning, we get to start a new series called Our Mission. And next week, we want to let you know, we're going to be talking about the specifics of the mission. Before we can talk about the specifics, today we're talking about one thing that is essential for us to have success in the mission. In fact, if we don't get this one thing right, we might as well not even have the conversation about the specifics. So to issue this challenge to us, Robert Green is actually here with us this morning. He is the Okoy Region FCA Director, and he used to be a Green Beret, so you better pay attention, so that way he doesn't have to wake you up if you know what I mean. So could we give it up for Robert Green? Man, what an amazing opportunity to, uh, to be with you guys at public. Yeah, when they say things like he used to be a Green Beret, we're talking about 30 years ago. Um, and so uh, someone said to me the other day, uh, really, you used to be a Green Beret? And I thought, really, have I lost that much, uh, uh, you know, in terms of where I used to be? But it was always helpful when my daughters wanted to date. Um, I remember on one specific occasion where a guy came up, he's from Bradley High School actually, and came up and uh, said, hey, I want to I wanna go out with your daughter. And he was walking up the stairs. And so I just, uh, he had his hat turned kind of backwards. And that's not so much like, a, like that's going to be a deal breaker. But I just said, hey, it may go better for you if you turn that hat around. And so he got it turned around before he reached the top of the stairs. And I wouldn't let him get all the way to the landing. I reached down and kind of grabbed his hand squeezed tightly and I just said I, I just want you to know I've not been a pastor forever I said I spent four years in the U.S. Army Special Forces I can kill a man nine different ways with a plastic spoon don't give me any excuses right and so it uh, didn't go well for that guy um, I think he, he, he made it one more week and he came over and he was sitting at our table and he said listen if you're going to go out with him again you need to have have a meal with he needs to have a meal with us and meet the family and uh, so he sits down at our at our dinner table and and we're kind of getting ready for this this meal. And I said, you know, you can always tell the measure of a man by the way he prays. Would you bless our food today? And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was pretty bad, man. I was hard on those hard on those guys. <laughs> really difficult on those guys. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna be sharing a little bit about unity. But before we jump too far into that, I, you know, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. And I thought of a few momisms, and so I thought what you could do is, if you're out here and you said I've heard that one before from a mother, would you just kind of raise your hand and let me know that we're all kind of tracking in unity on the same point? A little birdie told me, right? Am I talking to a brick wall? <laughs> Are you deaf or something? Do you think I'm made of? Money, do you think your socks are going to pick themselves up? Don't go out with a wet head or you'll, yeah, catch a cold, get sick. Don't sit too close to the television or it will, yeah, mess your eyes up. How do you know if you don't like it, if you haven't, right? I, so I hope someday you have children just like, yeah, <laughs> life isn't fair, right? So uh, look at me when I'm. Yeah, man, we could go through all these, right? What part of don't you understand? <laughs> um, uh, are you going out dressed like that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, don't make me come <laughs> in there. Yeah, right? And uh, how many times do I have to? Yeah. I don't know. Or I don't know is not an answer. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll finish with this one. Um uh, 
think of those poor, starving children in. Yeah, yeah, we've all heard those, but man, a great big shout out to mothers. And uh, today we're going to look at what does the mission require for us to fulfill is we're going to have to come to a place where we discover this beautiful thing called unity that that is organic, that comes to us when we come into the family of God. Um, You know, being being involved in the sporting realm, for me, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I thought I'd start off with a, a sport analogy. But, but when you understand the idea and the context of, of what Paul's going to des- describe to us in Ephesians chapter 4, if you like the Olympics, every two years, whether it's winter or summer Olympics, you're going to get to see someone who uh, competes the most elite, strongest, fastest athletes in the world. And at some point, there's going to be a winner, and that winner's going to stand up on a platform. And when they get on that moment, they're on center stage on top of that platform. They don't lean to the left or to the right or look over to somebody and say, would you play my special song? I mean, there's no individual ideas of what I would like to have in that moment, but instead what happens in that moment is a flag starts to be raised and a national anthem starts to play. Why? Because they're part of something much larger than just their individual sport or their individual commitment to exercise, passion, uh, to win at this particular thing. There's something much bigger, something higher, more transcending, and that is they're part of this bigger thing called the nation and whatever that nation is and for those of us in the kingdom of God what we understand is there's something larger than public church or something larger than the Methodist church or something larger than just the church of God there's something larger than all of that that is the kingdom of God and in order for us to make a difference on this planet we have to come and submit to that music that comes from heaven and that flag that flies in heaven more than our individual personal idiosyncrasies that our differences that we have. And, and so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says it this way, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, I love he uses this word, mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Earlier in that same chapter in Ephesians 4, 2-6, he says this, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He kind of spells out the attributes necessary for us to discover the power of unity. And then verse 3, he tells us that we are to do something about. This is our mission. This is where the mission needs to spring forth from. He says, Make every effort to keep. Now, underline that word. If you've got your Bible out or something or, 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 or highlight it in your electronic Bible, but underline the word keep. Keep the unity of the Spirit to the bond of peace. And then verse 4, there's one body. You'll hear these seven ones, right? There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, I've been on a long journey with men. We do this thing called the Caveman's Club, challenging men to discover who they are in Christ. And what happens too often is men allow their vocation to identify who they are. They let what they do or maybe a mistake they've made in the past, and so someone has labeled them a certain uh, uh, past mistake, or maybe we even let success be that which identifies us. 
And the problem with that is, is that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says you are once alienated, but I brought you close. I removed the distance between us, and you've been adopted. You've been chosen. You've been reconciled. And, and Paul so beautifully explains this in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. He knows it's extremely important for them to understand the power of knowing who you are and to whom you belong to. But then you get from the theology of that to the practical in chapters 4 through 6. He starts off in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, now walk worthy. Now, uh, and that word worthy is a word axiom. It means wait. Now walk with the same power of understanding you have about who you are in Christ. Now let this kind of flesh out in the way that you do human relationships. And then he particularly calls us to Unity. And he says, if you're ever going to fulfill your mission, if you're ever going to do what I need you to do on this planet, you're going to have to do it together. And so what is, what is it about unity? What are the keys to gaining what I would call indestructible or indivisible unity that even our nation and the Pledge of Allegiance uses these words like one nation under who? Yeah, under God and indivisible like impenetrable, inseparable, permanent, unbreakable, unified. And even though we know it from a, a national perspective, every time we say the Pledge of Allegiance, what we often don't understand is the pledge to the Christian faith that we're one. And so how do you get these keys? What are the keys to gaining indestructible unity? The first is simply this. We need to have a working definition of unity. Like most of us don't understand, we don't, we're not on the same page. Uh, when you talk about unity, it's, it, it's oneness and purpose. It's working together in harmony towards a shared vision and goal. But what unity is not, maybe is important to understand is what it is. Unity is not deadly uniformity. It's not sameness. It's, listen, the Trinity teaches us through their unique personhood, and yet there's one essence. And also unity is not tolerance. Christianity is without question inclusive, but it's also exclusive, right? Because in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Here's what I'm scared of in this time that we, we live in this nation called the United States of America, is sometimes we're more patriotic than we are Christian. In this nation, it's easy to make Jesus your mascot, but not really make him your Lord, in this nation, it's easy to have this syncretism of other world religions and other ideas just kind of float into this thing called Christianity. And what we're going to discover is this is not the unity that we're being called to by Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, listen, there's one way, there's one truth, there's one life. There's not many different ways. There's one Lord, one baptism, one faith. His name is Jesus, and it's rooted in the Trinity. And so while it may be convenient, what, what the, uh, the, 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 uh, I guess the core of what you're hearing out there from even a political standpoint and a national standpoint is we need to tolerate each other more and accept, embrace each other more. And yes, I agree, we need to tolerate and love and all those other things, but we cannot enfold into the gospel narrative that there's many different ways. I mean, I was really discouraged when I heard that they took some of the top kids in youth groups across America, they asked several fundamental questions about the Christian faith. One of those was simply, if someone sincerely believes in a system, a religious system other than Jesus Christ came, died, buried, and was resurrected, will they go to heaven because of their sincerity? I'm not talking about like 
the peripheral, the, 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 I'm talking about the ones that are in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, they're, in, they're in, involved in youth group, they're doing mission trips, and eight out of the ten kids said yes. And I thought, what, what happened to being sincerely wrong? Yes, the gospel is inclusive in that whosoever will regardless of how much money you have or don't have or what color of skin you have or where you grew up or what ethnicity. It doesn't matter all of that. He's, it's very inclusive. And yet at the same time, it's exclusive. And so we talk about unity. We need to be clear on that, right? Because we, we've heard these things like, what fellowship has darkness with light? Like, like there's another occasion where Paul's talking about relationships and he says, don't be unequally yoked. And so we know that unity is not that. Unity is this. Unity is unity in the faith. We're talking about that. We're talking about unity in that we uh, grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. See, the church is the only authentic cross-racial, cross-cultural, cross-generational basis for oneness, and it should be found here at Public Church. It should be found universally everywhere we call ourselves Christian or we uh, uh, say that we've come into the body of Christ. And so in order for us to really have powerful unity, indestructible unity, we've got to come to an agreement of terms of what unity actually means. And then secondly, unity begins with and is sustained by character. Ephesians 4.2 very clearly points out to us a little bit to, uh, of understanding. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. It uses four specific characteristics that, that help to sustain unity. I mean, be completely humble. Humility was despised in the ancient Greco-Roman world, and I suggest to you it's still despised today in the Dos Equis generation, right? The most interesting man in the world. Six things that God hates, he says in Proverbs, and the top of the list was these haughty eyes or pride, right? Because when pride and self-promotion enter in, and like, like, like we've got our hand and grasp on all of theology from our local church and our faith and our background, us four no more, what happens is we, we, we spread and sow disunity. For me, I remember I told this story earlier, but, you know, in the U.S. Army Special Forces, one of the things when I first put on that green beret and I made the cut, made it all the way through, the youngest European uh, FCA guy in, in, in the European uh, theater, and here I am with these guys, the elite uh, of the elite. I mean, listen, we used to uh, eat uh, Navy SEALs for breakfast and pick our teeth with Air Force guys, and that's not very unifying, is it? I know, I mean, there was this fierce competition between all of us, but at the end of the day, we came together when the mission was at hand. But I remember in that day, I was so proud that sometimes what happens is, is that you allow uh, what's going on in the external realm of your life to kind of enter into that spiritual realm, and I got kind of prideful spiritually. And I used to, if you didn't measure up to my, my level of passion for Jesus, I would kind of uh, start to pick you apart and evaluate you. And I, I was very, uh, you know, I had that spirit of discernment and criticism working really well in my life, right? And I would point things out in your life. And I remember at, at the very end, of my time in SF starting to drop spiritually and I remember the heavens felt like brass and I felt so distant from God and that, that tenacious uh, faith that used to be like, like I was a bulldog that found the bone of its wildest dream I wouldn't let go and then all of a sudden I found myself slipping away 
And it came all to head when I got out of the military uh, because I was slipping so fastly from my Christian faith. And I remember uh, picking up my wife who was here in the earlier service. I was going across a bridge from Pensacola, Florida to Pace, Florida to pick her up. And I was driving a Turbo Fuego Renault. And the reason I was driving it is because my sister took my Camaro when I left the military, my 1976 Camaro that I was really proud of. In four years, she completely destroyed it. Thank you, Misty. Uh, and so I'm driving this car <laughs> across the bridge, and it just starts to, the turbo goes out, in it, and it's smoking. I mean, like I got, it looked awful, man. It looked like it was on fire, and there's just smoke everywhere, and I'm embarrassed. And I had one of those moments where the Holy Spirit kind of used that moment to speak to my heart, and he said, this is what you look like when you're judgmental and critical. This is what you look like. You're leaving a trail of smoke everywhere you go. And I remember, here's an ex, I'm at Green Beret, man. I'm pulling off the side of the road. I don't know that I cried in years, man. I got out of, the, out of my car, could physically couldn't drive anymore and just started to weep. And God said, listen, he showed me every instance where I saved somebody or, or, or where I fought. And, 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 and he said, would, would you have let them there to die? I said, no, Lord, you saw what I did. I, and of course, I wouldn't ever shoot a wounded soldier. Uh, no man gets left behind. And God said, why did you do that in my kingdom? And my heart was crushed in that moment. And yet what I realized is without him, I'm nothing. And I had sown disunity for so long because I didn't understand the power of being in the same family with people and loving each other. And so I was prideful and I wasn't humble. Listen, I always say this to coaches sometimes and, and, and to athletes, particularly when they've had a great season, you got to be careful because sometimes in the midst of success, and, and what it'll do in many of our lives, it gives several businessmen in here a lot of success, and we're not careful. If the enemy can't pull us down, sometimes we get pushed up because we don't know how to handle that. We forget who brought us to the dance, and we lose a sense of humility. And I always say it this way, if you don't humble, you will stumble. And then there's this idea of gentleness. Well, that's outside the box, isn't it? He said, this is not weakness. He said, you want to know what it looks like to be a carrier of unity? you got to be gentle. Now, when I say this, I often use the word that you have to be kind, not necessarily nice, because sometimes you have to say something hurtful to be helpful. But you do it in a gentle way, in a kind way. I tell coaches this all the time. Listen, coach, it's okay as long as the ultimate aim of what you're doing is to bring them into their fullest potential and not destroy them or, or pull them down. We're moving them forward, right? Gentleness. And Jesus modeled this over and over again as a carrier of unity. And then patience. Somebody bumped somebody right there and said, hey, listen, you need to be more patient. <laughs> Long-tempered. He said, if you want to be a carrier of unity, if you want the, uh, to, to know what indiv uh, uh, indestructible unity looks like, it's with people who have a great deal of patience. Can I tell you, I still struggle with that? Oh, come on, don't look at me with your crooked halo on here this morning like you don't have any, any struggle with it. I mean, I, I, it showed up just a few weeks ago. Matter of fact, the first time I, I was entering in teaching coaches about this, and I, have, I lead six coaches' studies, and I lead a caveman's club and an eye marriage class, and I don't know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm leading all the time somewhere teaching or preaching. And I remember going through this myself, and I was like coming back from a, a, a vacation down in Florida at my sister's house in Navarre Beach, and we got somewhere around Gadsden, Florida, and I'm driving, and somehow it's driving that, that really shows me the deep inner me. I know you guys got it all together driving down the road, but for me, 
struggling. And, and so I'm passing someone that's slowing down, and I'm way past them, driving the same. I, you know, I use this thing called that you punch in or that you can, you know, hit a little button. It's called cruise control. I wish more people would use that, but, but I was using that. And I get past someone, and like, like, like now they're going to pass me back. And for 20 miles, they've been driving a lot slower than that. Like, what are you doing? And now they're passing me. And they love to pass me right at about the point where you catch up to somebody else, and now you've got to wait on them as they slow back down. Doesn't bother anybody else, does it? And so, so anyway, I'm like, okay, it's on now. It's on, right? I'm in Gadsden, Alabama. I'm coming to Cleveland, Tennessee. Do you know that went on all the way to my exit? Back and forth, this little blonde-haired girl, my wife sitting next to me, I said, would you just lean over and look at her and smile and kind of go like that? And she says, honey, stop it. That's not practical Christian living. (laughs) (laughs) But I couldn't. I I was not (laughs) long-tempered. And so I was like, she is not going to get, and so we're going through Chattanooga, man. She's just blazing through traffic. She's ahead of me. I can't catch her. I'm trying to catch her. My my girl's daughter in the back seat just like on pins and needles. My wife's, you know, like, I'm going to get her. (laughs) So we come all the way up. I was going to get off the first exit coming into Cleveland. I said, no, no, she's still up ahead of me. I got to get her. (laughs) So right before exit number 27, I thought, oh, okay, we're going to get her at Paul Huff exit. And I... And I finally get, I go all the way around a semi. She gets blocked in so she can't go any further. And I'm like, yes. But I had to come across two lanes of traffic in the, uh, 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 really quick, whip it back into the off ramp. I mean, right in time. Like I almost hit the grass coming in. <laughs> she gets off the same exit. I thought, man, you're busted now. What an idiot. Really? Is this how patient you are? We come up, and she actually turns right, and we're waiting on a traffic light, and I'm left, and she just looks over at me, and I look at her, and we start busting out laughing. I see a Lee University sticker. You know, like, <laughs> and I'm like, she's probably here somewhere here this morning. And she's, you can't be a carrier of unity and sustain indestructible unity if you're not patient and loving, bearing with each other in love. Love is the oil in our relationships. It goes over and over again. Matter of fact, I love telling men that when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's constantly telling men, he said, you know what, look like, what manhood looks like? He said that everything that you do, you do in love. <laughs> do it in love. And then the third point to indestructible unity is we don't create unity. We're just commissioned to preserve it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, again, make every effort, notice I told you to underline the word keep, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, you can't manufacture it. You can't mandate it. All you can do is preserve it. How do you preserve it? What does it look like? It's got to be organic through the baptism of the Spirit where we're plunged into the body of Christ by God. In other words, we're identified as sons and daughters So when you come into the family of God, at that moment you say, Jesus, I surrender. I invite you to come in and be the Lord of my life. Then we all have one Father. We come back to the original purpose for which we were created, to have fellowship with God. In the very beginning, unity was the primary, listen, the DNA, and all that we would need ever in human history was given to one man that walked into this planet. We were one. And then when you see this beautiful thing called the covenant of marriage, he talks about oneness. And the reason why, it's a prophetic picture that Jesus is coming back for his bride as one. And so we don't create it. 
We come into this thing. Listen, uh, God thwarts every attempt for unity that excludes him, right? Remember this story in Genesis chapter 11 with Babel? The Tower of Babel, these guys got it together. They thought they'd work together, build this tower that would get, uh, launch into heaven, the launching pad into heaven, and God had to stop it. Why? Because they were working together in unity, but the, it excluded his purpose and plan. See, this is the reason why the race problem is not solved in America. I believe it's two specific reasons. One, people apart from God are trying to create unity. We think that somehow unity is going to be solved by a political candidate. It's not going to happen. We think that somehow unity is going to be solved by all of us just looking alike, acting alike, talking alike. That's not going to happen. And the second reason is because, and the more important reason that you and I should hear this morning is that people under God who already have unity because you've organically been placed into the kingdom of God as a son or a daughter are not living out or preserving it. A failure to find cultural unity as a nation is directly related to the church's failure to preserve it. You don't have to get family to be family. You just have to get family to act like family. Public church needs to act like family with Westmore Church of God. We all need to act like family, right? The kingdom could be extended in a beautiful way if we all knew what it looked like to really walk in unity. It's like the black guy and the white guy right driving down the road had this discussion about what color God is. And they're driving down the road, and he says, with all the talk about the soul, God's got to be black. And they get to arguing, and the white guy, well, with all the efficiency, I, I think God's white. And they're just kind of going back and forth. The next thing you know, they crash the car, and inevitably they go up towards heaven, they get to heaven, and St. Peter meets them there and says, hey, what's the first thing I can do for you guys? He said, oddly enough, we were just discussing having this conversation about whether God was black or white. Could you help us with that? He says, certainly I can help you with that. I don't need to tell you who it is. Just follow me. And they walked down to the throne room. They got close to the throne room, and the chair was starting to turn. And before it got all the way around, he said, buenos dias, senores. (laughs) Man, we're family. What makes us uniquely is that we all come into this family because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross and become sons and daughters. See, it's the enemy's job to stop the advancement of unity, disconnect us. Well, I like that worship song. Well, I like this worship song. Or I like the way Pastor, you know, ta- I like the way he speaks. No, I like the way Robert speaks. No, I like the way he does this. No, I- Listen. We're part of the same family, and it's okay to have different preferences and likes, but at the end of the day, we come together under the cross. See, he understands. The enemy understands the power and glory are both accessed and magnified through unity. He's not spending his time (laughs) trying to make the world more wicked. That will take care of itself. What he's trying to do is keep the church distracted from cooperation and mutual edification and keep them from being on mission. That's what he's after. And so what brings indestructible unity? My last point is unity must be rooted in the Trinity for it to be indestructible and beneficial. So what are the benefits? Well, back to Genesis chapter 11. Teaches us we can do anything if we come together, particularly if we come together under the blessing of Scripture and we point to the unity of the faith. 
and the unity and the knowledge of the Son of God. We become deeper and deeper in our walk with Christ. And as a result of that, it's kind of like what we teach in a marriage conference. Oftentimes you'll see uh, where, where a couple is struggling and having problems. And if you put in this triangle, you put yourself here and your spouse here, and the problem is, is we spend way too much time trying to figure this thing out here and make this thing work instead of ascending this way if God is at the tip. And the more you ascend up towards your, in your relationship with, with the Father as, as a spouse, as they do that, then as they come together, both pursuing Christ, all of a sudden you notice the distance between them is less and less. And that's what happens in the kingdom of God. The more we pursue his heart, his passion, his mission, the less we start talking about and seeing and magnifying the differences between us and start embracing the the more stuff that makes us similar through the body of Christ. You see, Pentecost is also an expression of one that's being preserved. The miracles that happened at Pentecost are not a result of having the best program or the best technology, or the biggest buildings in which to meet. They didn't have any of that. They were just common people bonded together by a common purpose across racial, class, and gender lines, thus receiving the spirit baptism and the flow of his spirit among them. And they did miracles in his sight. Why? They didn't have the, 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 the catchy mission statement necessarily. They didn't have the best music uh, uh, there at the moment, perhaps. They didn't have the great big coliseums or buildings. They just had unity. They gathered together in one mind and one accord. And the Spirit endued them with power, and they walked out doing miracles. That's the blessing and benefit when the unity is rooted in the Trinity and glory. It reflects the image to the triune nature like nothing else. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. I love that when Jesus is getting ready to leave this planet, this is what he prays. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Listen, that's the last prayer that Jesus prays before he leaves the terra firma. Praying for us. Why? Because he understood the power and the glory of unity because it always lifts up Jesus. And it's convincing. That's one of the benefits. A lost world that we're connected with Christ. Jesus says this, by this all men will know that you are my disciples and that you have loved one for another. Public church, you want to convince the world around you when you're on mission that it's about more than just being noticed or more than just getting your checklist of spiritual things to do, you want to know what, it, what, what your mission will be effective is if you have love one for another. That will be a convincing evidence that Jesus Christ really did come, die, was buried and resurrected and sits at the right hand of the Father. It's not our click, our, our guitar lick. And, and, yet, and listen, you guys that play, I love it. <laughs> this morning. You have tremendous worship. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to do something for me in a couple weeks at a, at a camp. But... but uh, but, but well beyond that, man, is what sings beautifully is this thing called unity. And then blessing. That's an evidence and a benefit of this beautiful thing. Psalms 133, 1-3, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And later in the ending of that chapter, which is very short, he says, I command my blessing on that. Public church, you want the blessing of God? Then do everything you can to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Become a peacemaker. 
Now listen, being a peacemaker doesn't mean you always say the easy stuff because sometimes you have to say something hurtful to be helpful, right? It, it may mean you have to apologize <laughs> to be a peacemaker. It may mean that you have to rebuke to be a peacemaker, but the end goal is to point people towards Jesus. Listen, it's interesting to me as I close that spiritual family relationships transcend physical, cultural, and racial relationships. I was sitting with a black brother that has a, uh, a podcast, number one podcast among men uh, in our nation. And he sat across from me and I was talking about some hurt going on with my mom. See, a couple, few months back, I got a chance with J103 to kind of tell my story and uh, about how I came to, to my faith in Jesus and it says a lot about my dad and the problem that she had trouble with is my dad was a hell-raising, Harley-riding uh, womanizer and just didn't treat her with any dignity and respect, but God saved him, set him free, completely transformed his life. His trajectory went in a whole different direction and for six, seven years, I was out of his life. And then he had an opportunity to share Jesus with me at Christmas, December 23rd, 1981, in a small Baptist church in Glen St. Mary, Florida. Man, I surrendered my life to Jesus. Had never even heard the gospel story. And it changed me. And I tell him the story, right, on, uh, on, on a campaign they're doing. And, and uh, she was hurt and offended because she thought that I was glorifying my dad and neglected to say anything about my mom because she hasn't come into the faith. And I didn't know any other way to tell her. I said, Mom, I love you. I respect you. I admire you. And yes, you took care of me most all of your life. But there's something I share with Dad that I desperately want to share with you. And that's the organic peace that I'm talking about this morning, the family that I put my trust in Jesus and so did dad. And one day we're going to live for all eternity together. And mom, until you come to that place where you surrender your heart and life to Jesus, I wish I could share that with you, but I can't manufacture that. I can't make that happen. It'll only come if you surrender your life to Jesus. And mom, I desperately want you to know him. I want you to know and discover how much he loves you. I want you to know that he did more than just speak the worlds into existence and said, you guys make it on your own. No, he then came among us, imminent and then transcendent, came down right where we are, born in a manger, gave his life, lived it, and gave it for you so that you could know him. And if you're in here this morning and you've never met Jesus Christ, you could do it this morning and you will come to be part of this beautiful thing called the unity of the faith and you'll grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. Last story to illustrate this. So right, the, to, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that sometimes the only way we can get this unity thing working is that something tragic happened in our nation, around our world, and here you've got, all of a sudden, you've got this moment where, where, where we experience 9-11, right? And so everybody starts to pull together in this tragic moment. And, and, and then what was interesting, out of that story came the Super Bowl, right? Uh, Super Bowl number 36 in 2002. And, 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 and it was unlike any other Super Bowl in history for several reasons. One, a president flipped the, toy, the, the coin toss. And he had four presidents that were actually represented in that. They had to actually uh, change the venue time. And, and they were playing the St. Louis Rams and it was against uh, the, the, this great, well, some think it to be a great team, the Patriots. And, but that wouldn't be the year that they were supposed to play. 
They were 14-point underdogs. Why? Because they lost their quarterback's coach before the season ever began to a heart attack. They lost their quarterback due to a, a, a bad hit he took um, in, in the second game of the year. He was out. They lost their, uh, their, their starting receiver, their best receiver, in the fourth game of the year because of some off-field issues. There was no way they were going to win this game. One of the biggest lopsided games in, 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 in NFL history. And yet the Patriots decided, Belichick said, he contacted the NFL, he said, listen, we don't want to come out. Normally when you call them to come out, they choose whether the offense or defense first. They call you out by name, and everybody celebrates each individual person as they make their way onto the field. He said, we don't want to do it that way this year. We want to come out as one, uh, as a team. NFL said, no, we're not going to let you do it. And Belichick kept pressing in until they finally said, yes, you can do it. And so on that day, they announced the, the New England Patriots instead of one individual at a time. And they come out as one, locked elbow to elbow, and locked and come in as one. And they played incredibly well all game long and, and, and uh, centered on the idea of we're one team. We've gone through a lot. We battled this season, but we're one. And they win at the very end of the game, they kick a field goal, unprecedented in NFL history. Time elapses, and they win the game that way. And they wanted to give the MVP, which happened to be the quarterback for New England, they said, I want to give them a, a car. And he said, no, this car doesn't belong to me. I don't want the keys. This is to our family. This is one. What illustrated on that day, as they won that improbable game, greatest upset <laughs> in NFL history, was because a team became one. What would it look like if public church, what would it look like if somebody in this room said yes to Jesus for the very first time and said, I want to become part of this family, the family of God, and I want to experience this beautiful unity, this indestructible unity that's rooted in the Trinity. Well, you can. I'm going to pray a simple prayer this morning. And if you're in this room and you say, you know what, I've been playing around with my faith. I, I, to be honest, I've never truly died to myself, invited Christ to come and sit on the throne of my heart. I've, I've, I've still got these places reserved where I haven't given it over to him. But I really want to today to come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior and surrender my heart so I can come into this family called the family of God. And you can do that this morning. If there's some distance between you and somebody else, maybe there's a relationship, maybe, particularly if it's with a mother, make it right today. You still can be different and have diversity, but, 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 but come together under the umbrella of Jesus and, and let, let Jesus remove the distance and let unity seek back in. If there's a marriage struggling this morning, you can allow the oneness to occur just by simply surrendering your heart and life to Jesus. Don't worry about changing your spouse. Worry about changing your heart. And God can do that. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity to speak here at Public Church, honored to be a part of worship with them. I pray this morning, Lord, I start with this, God, that somebody in this room who's never said yes to you, you said if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. So, Lord, right now I invite you to come in and to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me and bring me into the family of God. Remove the distance. I no longer want to be alienated from you. I want to be adopted and chosen and to be a part of your kingdom. So I surrender my life to you now. I invite you to sit and reign on the throne of my heart. And I trust in you as my only hope for eternal life life. Now, Lord, I pray for someone who's got this, this division has gone on, this disunity has been sown. God, there's this 
heated arguments and stress between a, a married couple or a best friend or, or God, maybe it's a teammate or a, a classmate or someone, God, that we just need to see you do a work in. I pray this morning, God, do that work in us. Change our heart and we'll let you change them as you so desire. I want to be a carrier of unity, God. I want to come into your family. I want to be one that preserves it, keeps it. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.